The AI Today podcast, produced by Cognolytica, cuts through the hype and noise to identify what is really happening now in the world of artificial intelligence. Learn about emerging AI trends, technologies, and use cases from Cognolytica analysts and guest experts. Hello, and welcome to the AI Today podcast. I'm your host, Kathleen Walsh. And I'm your host, Ronald Schmelzer. Our guest today is Anthony Scrifignano, who is the Senior Vice President and Chief Data Scientist at Dun & Bradstreet. Hi, Anthony. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Hello. Great to be with you. Yeah, welcome, Anthony, and thanks for joining us. We'd like to start by having you introduce yourself to our listeners and tell them a little bit about your background and your current role at Dun & Bradstreet. Sure. So I work with Dun & Bradstreet as the Chief Data Scientist, and in that role, I'm responsible for innovation, for developing technologies that enable our capabilities. We work in identity resolution, anomaly detection, geospatial inference, multilingual computational linguistics, just to give you an idea of some of the areas. Dun & Bradstreet has arguably the world's largest commercial database of its type. It is absolutely enormous in terms of an undertaking. Information collected from almost every country except North Korea and Cuba. It's updated millions of times a day in different languages and different writing systems, seven different integrated supply chains. There's not one big giant database in the middle of this because there's laws all over the world about what data can be kept where and what data can't cross borders. So we have to follow all of those laws and strictures and at the same time develop global insight about total risk and total opportunity. Who is this company? Who are they doing business with? Who are their customers? How do they present themselves? Are they telling the truth? Those types of things. Highly dynamic, highly changing, highly global, really complex. And then you get to the really hard questions, the inferential questions, the data science questions. Where are the anomalies? Where are the changes in behavior? Where are the big opportunities, the black swans, and so forth? So that's essentially, in a nutshell, all the space that we touch in my group in terms of advancing those capabilities. That sounds great. Sounds like the complex world that we live in, which is fantastic. So at the upcoming AI World Government event, which is taking place in Washington, D.C. on June 24th through 26th, you're going to be speaking about the state of governance, big data, and ethics. So for our listeners who may be interested in attending, so this is recorded before the show, but for those podcast listeners who are listening to this after the show, you obviously missed something here, but uh, tell us a little bit about an overview of what you are speaking about at the event. So this is going to be a live conversation, so it'll be very interesting to see how it plays out. Governance, touched on it a little bit already, is an increasingly complicated thing. So if you think about what's happening with regulations around privacy, as an example, we all want things to become more customized and to anticipate our needs better. And at the same time, we want our personal information to be kept private. Well, those are opposite things to want. So how will that play forward in terms of regulations, in terms of where you may keep the data, how you may use the data, who benefits from the exploitation of the data versus who curated it, et cetera. In terms of the ethics, there's some really interesting questions. We tend to think of ethics as right and wrong, understanding whether something is right or wrong. But the reality is that it's gray sometimes. So as devices become more autonomous, as AI becomes more ubiquitous, decisions that are made on the benefit of the whole may not benefit the one. Decisions that are made in order to help one country or one company or one region might disintermediate another one. So ethical decisions around AI and the use of data are becoming 
really, really complicated. It turns out that governance and ethics are kind of strange bedfellows because the best regulations will never catch up with the latest technology. But now technology is moving so quickly that the regulators really struggle to understand what are the new capabilities that are coming out there and how we might use them to serve national security, to provide for a better future, to deal with things like marginalization and asymmetry and, and just doing good with data. So lots of opportunity for conversation there. And the folks that are involved are certainly more than up to the task of having that conversation. Yeah, it's really interesting you mentioned about sort of the changing a dynamic around uh, regulation and compliance, especially now people are paying a lot of attention to the way that data is being used and misused and applied in ways that people are complying with the want in places of people that they don't want. And so I'm kind of curious, just from your perspective, you know, where do you see sort of laws and regulations sort of following and kind of we have on the one extreme, you know, what's happening, let's say in China with like different kinds of <laughs> concerns around rules and regulations. Other side, we have the Europe, which is really trying to build a more ethical environment. We We hope you're enjoying this podcast and sorry for the brief interruption. Cognolytica not only produces the AI podcast that you're listening to right now, but we also generate research and advisory to help companies make sense of AI and cognitive technologies. We also run the most authoritative vendor-neutral AI and machine learning training and certification on the market. If you're looking to make AI a reality for your organization, our three-day Cognolytica training is for you. If you're interested in attending, you can find pricing and registration on our website at Cognolytica.com. We'll also provide a link in the show notes. We've met many of our podcast listeners in our classes, and we hope that we'll see you there as well. Now back to the podcast. Build a more ethical environment. We have America, United States, somewhere in the middle. Where do you sort of see this worldwide mishmash of regulatory regimes going? Well, I don't think any of those corpora of regulations are necessarily doing something intentionally at odds with the others. The objective functions are different. So you mentioned a number of countries, and without calling anybody out, some countries are more focused on national security than they are on advancing the economy. Other countries are more focused on privacy than they are on generalized AI. Some countries are much more focused on growing the economy and fueling that growth. So what happens is when you have those different things that governments want, the regulatory environments tend to reflect those wants, and you tend to get varying regulations. And that's exactly what's happening right now in the world of data regulation. The problem is that with cloud computing, with everything being everywhere, with the sort of convergence of disruption that we have, a lot of this technology doesn't really know geographic boundaries. And if you try to artificially constrain it, you sometimes cause it to work in very odd ways, and not necessarily in the ways you intended. So let's be very careful as purveyors of technology and technology-based solutions that we work with the regulators so that they understand potential unintended impact of over-regulating or conversely the demand to regulate in a certain way to, to avoid certain bad things that can happen. Think about data breaches and cybersecurity and so forth. We need some regulation there. And personally, my view, I think that you know we could have more focus on the behaviors, the, the uses as opposed to trying to regulate specific technology or specific data elements, because those are going to be constantly changing, and we'll constantly be chasing that. It's a little like trying to control the flow of oxygen in the atmosphere. I'd rather control the way and the behaviors, the things that we do, which is typically what you see in other sectors. You you can't fly a plane over here. We don't focus so much on the definition of an airplane. There's some definition, and then we move on from that. Imagine trying to regulate every single type of airplane and every single way in which you can fly it and every altitude at which you can fly and every direction in which you can fly. 
we run the risk of doing that. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, you know, we pay attention to the ethics and how different countries and rules, regulations, societies are kind of embracing this. So we keep an eye on it as well. So Anthony, I know that you're a very, you know, well-respected data scientist and you've been working in the field for decades and experienced in linguistics and advanced algorithms. Can you give us your thoughts on the limitations of machine learning and perhaps where we need to go with regards to machine reasoning and common sense? Well, the fathers of computer science have struggled with that question, but I won't let that stop me. Uh, (laughs) So machine learning is an interesting term because there's no learning in machine learning. Artificial intelligence, there's no intelligence in artificial intelligence. These terms, they're called anthropomorphizing, putting human characteristics onto not human things, in this case, algorithms and, and processes. So we embody them with our capabilities. We say that they're learning. They are collecting information, they're synthesizing information, they're trying to fit it in certain ways. So different ways to think about machine learning. One interesting model is to look at supervised versus unsupervised versus sort of everything else. The the supervised methods are where you have some kind of training. You say, show me an example of a blah, you know, show me an example of a identity theft or show me an example of a name and address. It could be something really simple mm-hmm. or something really complicated. And then I'll look at tons and tons and tons of data. And if you've given me enough examples, I'll find more things that look like the examples you've given me. The challenge there is there's a fundamental assumption that the data you've seen in the past can be projected into the frame of the future to make that prediction useful. If the future doesn't look like the past, you can't machine learn your way into what will happen in a post-Brexit Europe. Because we don't have data from the last post-Brexit Europe. That's an absurd question. So you have to use a different type of method for that. The second type of machine learning is unsupervised learning. So that's where you take a whole bunch of data, usually unstructured data, data that doesn't have any kind of a dictionary to tell you what it is and how to use it. And you try to do things to it, like classify it, put it into clusters, maybe understand what it seems to imply without necessarily putting any a priori assumptions on what it should imply. And that's a very useful technique for looking at data you've never seen before, or maybe for looking at types of relationships that are forming that have yet to kind of coalesce. Mm -hmm. So those unsupervised methods are really important for things like self-driving cars and drones and things that have to operate in the real world, where what you're seeing now may look nothing like what you just saw or anything you've ever seen. The other category, sometimes you talk about reinforcement methods or cognitive methods or some types of heuristics, basically methods that either compete with each other to perform better or to converge on advice that a human being is more likely to take. Think of like, I don't want to call out any specific products, but uh, Watson's a good example, you know, uh, playing Jeopardy, you know, how do you do something like that? It's kind of neither of the previous two examples I gave you, it's this other category. What are some of the limitations? Today, the world is divided into two camps on whether or not we will ever have what's called generalized AI, a set of capabilities that can be sort of universally applied to any future problem. Some people argue that we will get there someday, the Swiss army knife of AI. And other people argue that the methods will continue to evolve just as the problems do. And honestly, those two camps are relatively evenly divided right now. If you want to sound smart, you could say, well, someday we will eventually converge on uh, generalized AI. Well, someday we will eventually converge on almost anything. So 
if you pitch it far enough out into the indeterminate future, you can predict almost anything you want. But are you going to see that at you know your local dry goods store next week? I don't think so. One of the other limitations in AI or in, in this sort of genre as well is that we used to worry about the, the Bs of big data, volume, velocity, veracity, variety. We used to worry about all of those. We didn't have enough data or it was changing too fast or we didn't necessarily understand the relevance of it to a problem or it's not all true. Those are all still problems today. But in general, we can get the data we need to apply to a problem in general. Not if you're trying to go find life in other exoplanets, but in general, for most problems, we can get at the data. The problem is that we've sort of transitioned to a point where we have so much data that if you don't get the problem formulation right, you will find anything you want. It's called an a priori assumption. If you look hard enough into any sufficiently large amount of data, you'll find an example of what you think is true if you don't go in there with a statement instead of a question. So what I do and what I try to encourage folks to do is to make sure that you understand the question before you start looking at the data or you're just going to find what you think is true. And that's how you're going to get yourself in trouble. So the limitations are in this converging on generalized AI, in the ability to sort of use too much data in a better way. And then the big limitation is really us. How lazy will we be? How much will we be willing to be involved with the evolution of this science or will we let it happen to us? If we let it happen to us, we kind of get what we deserve and it may not be what we want. Yeah, that's a good insight. It's interesting, interesting perspectives on all this. I know that a lot of folks are, some people are really interested in sort of the direction of AI heading towards artificial general intelligence. And some people are looking at the much more practical applications in the short term, because that's kind of where we are right now. So yeah, it's, exactly. it's a very, very interesting perspective on that. And I, I think a lot of the terminology... You know, if I could... Go ahead. Sorry, if I could just add one thing to that. If you think about Star Trek, you know, in Star Trek, some version of the future, you know, 24th century, 23rd century, whichever Star Trek you're watching, everything works. They have, you know, some sort of ability to talk to creatures that all seem to have two legs and two arms. They, or most of them anyway, everything seems to work pretty well. All the, and once in a while things break, but in general, everything works. And there's another version of the future, which is like the Jetsons, you know, where everything doesn't work. They have all these flying cars and talking maids and all these different things, but nothing quite works the way it was designed. And certainly nothing works with each other. And so George Jetson's life is constantly trying to make his way through all of this technology and just get to whatever he wants as a father and a, you know, working at basically sprockets. So I, <laughs> I think our future is probably more likely to be like the Jetsons in Star Trek in the near term. We're just going to have this constant convergence of new things that are not quite done, that were rushed to market, that don't quite work well with everything else. And we will just get better and better at dealing with that general state of everything being almost correctly working. It's not a dystopian thing. It's just a reality. Thing. Yeah, that's true. Well, I'll, I'm looking forward to robotic maids with the New York accents wearing uh, maid outfits, which is... Exactly. <laughs> that's the Jets in the you future. Just dated, you just dated yourself. I know, I know. <laughs> so obviously, you know, the, the, the corners, part of what's brought this resurgence of interest in artificial intelligence, I think we all know, from, especially from talking about AI for a while, it's been a long-lived conversation about artificial intelligence. But part of what's brought out this resurgence of interest in the last you know, decade and a half or so is data, of course, and the availability of data and the ability to use that data and figuring out how to manipulate large quantities of data. So data is that the cornerstone to much of what is powering this AI resurgence and in interest. However, especially for a lot of the organizations who are frequent listeners of our podcast and those that we spend a lot of time doing research and analysis on and folks who are, who are participating in our training, 
they're finding it difficult to build the data science skills within their organization and talent. So as somebody who has built that for your organization, you know, what insight do you have for organizations that are looking to deepen their machine learning, their data science expertise, and build those data science skills? So the first thing I would say is that the blocking and tackling, you know, being able to, to write code in Python and R, being able to do machine learning, being able to sort of manipulate data sets and move them in and out of cloud environments, those are becoming more and more generalized skills. It's a little bit like saying, you know, to what extent do people who get an MBA have the ability to create a PowerPoint presentation or a Word document? I don't mean to name product. That said, you know, of course you need to learn those things, but that doesn't make you a data scientist. There's two words in data scientist. There's data and there's scientist. So to me, the scientist part means being able to observe the world around you, ask a meaningful question, research what other people have done before you, pick a method, defend it as the best method, employ that method, collect data, analyze the data, share your results, and recommend things for future research. That's sort of like the basic scientific process. Do most data scientists do that? No, they run around, they collect a bunch of data, they find some code libraries for open source code, they push a button, they hope they get an answer, and then they say, look, I found the answer. There's a lot of, you know, hurry up and get it done kind of behavior right now. And, that, you know, the reality is that 80% of that will work just fine. 80% of the time, you could actually just do that, hit it with a hammer, and it'll work. That other 20% is where the real opportunities are. So, you know, one of the things that I would recommend to leaders who are leading data scientists is you've got to challenge them all the time. You've got to give them new kinds of problems. If you treat them like a commodity, then they will work for you for a little while, and then they'll go work for somebody else and get more money. So, you know, make sure that you understand that they need to be challenged. At the same time, you got to help them with their humility, that they can't solve every problem. They don't instantly understand the business just because they understand data. They have to understand softer skills like storytelling, you know, being able to put the results into a way of representing them that the, the counterparty who may not be the data geek that you are can understand and can synthesize and can use problem formulation. We talked about it several times. So can you ask the right question? Can you get to a better question than the one you started with before you started? Are you savvy enough to think about how the problem space is changing while you're analyzing it? Can you defend why you stopped where you did? Things like decision elasticity, how wrong do you need to be before you would make a different decision? These are all soft skills that are very often overlooked. And the hallmark of a really good data science organization is being able to say, yeah, of course we do all that. And not only do we do all of that, look at how we're doing to federate this into the organization or to share this information. It, this is not a basic skills, open source code, get a bunch of data, push a button, you're done. That's not data science. That's just messing with data. Yeah, that's some great insight there. You know, we always say that it takes time to build data scientists and data science skills and that you can't code academy your way there. You know, you can't go to some six-week program yeah. and then think that you're going to get a data right. scientist for your team. Which is a challenge because people mm -hmm. want to sort of derive the needle from the haystack and build repeatable models that are providing some of this value for the organization. But at the same time, they want the wizard with the button. And you know, I got to say, we talked about this in our predictions podcast for 2019 that, you know, AutoML is one of those things that's becoming really hot. And that's part of the Reason, yeah. because yeah. of the shortage of data scientists and the lack of time to build those skills. So You know, it, we're not looking for needles and haystacks anymore. We're looking for needles and stacks of needles. There's just so much out there that really it's, it's about kind of having that meaningful, reductive conversation that gets you to something that's really... If you look at most organizations that are implementing, quote-unquote, implementing AI... You know, they're in two camps. Half of them are saying, yeah, we're somewhere down that road, but 
we're not seeing the results that we expected. The half that are saying it's going great and we're monetizing it and it's wonderful, we're happy for you, right? But that other half, you know, you got to look in the mirror a little bit. Like, did you start with a clear problem? Did you just try to hire somebody? I had one organization, very large organization, like plenty of years of experience, lots of data. And they basically asked me, you know, we don't have a strong data science capability here. We're thinking of hiring a data scientist. Do you think that will help us on our team? And I said, well, what do you think that one data scientist that you're going to hire is going to come in and do other than maybe teach you how to do all that stuff? You've got to have a broader plan than that. You don't, when you want a house built, you know, if the carpenter or the architect came to you and said, we're going to build you a great house and we're going to use the hammer, you don't care. <laughs> you want to talk about the bedrooms. You want to talk about, we'll get to the hammer. But if you start with the hammer, then you deserve what happens to you. <laughs> <laughs> well, Anthony, thank you so much. You've been a great guest. Now, as a final note, what do you believe the future of AI is in general and its application to corporations and beyond? I think that we're going to need some new nouns and verbs. I think we're going to have to get more nuanced than just calling everything AI. We've got AI soccer balls out there now. Like, I don't even know what the term means in, in many cases. So look for the emergence of new terms. You hear about augmented intelligence lately, which is for teams that work along with a human expert to help them. I think that the data scientists of the future will be more like the healthcare practitioners of today, where they're working on very complex systems that they cannot understand in their entirety, and they're making clinical interventions based on diagnoses and then testing those interventions against best practice. I think we will become more like medical practitioners in the future. I think also the future, you know, the big question everybody wants to ask, will we report to robots someday? Outlook tells me to go to a meeting today and I go, we're already doing that to some extent. It's fine to take advice from a machine. It's not fine to give up caring about whether that advice matters or whether it's relevant. So I think the future is kind of up to us. We will either, this will be either the era where this stuff gets out of control and it accidentally does some very bad things, either in the military or in the medical world or in the cyber you know, crime world, some really horrible things that we can't imagine today start happening because we weren't paying attention or we wind up getting automated drug discovery or autonomous devices that can go rescue people on mountains. There's so many things that are possible if we lean into this right. If we just sort of hope it works, I think I know that we're going to wind up in the jets. Well, great. Well, thank you so much for joining us on this podcast. I know that we could probably spend another couple hours talking to you. So, you know, we may have to just have you come back for about 25 more podcasts. Hope you don't mind. (laughs) (laughs) That might cause a different result that you don't anticipate. (laughs) Yeah. Speaking about needles and needles. So, you know, we really appreciate you joining us. So, So once again, thank you so much for participating and sharing your insights with our audience. Happy to do it. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, Anthony, thanks for joining us today. And listeners, as always, we'll post any articles and concepts discussed in the show notes. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you at the next podcast. And that's a wrap for today. To download this episode, find additional episodes and transcripts, subscribe to our newsletter, and more, please visit our website at cognolitica.com. Join the discussion in between podcasts on the AI Today Facebook group. And make sure to join the Cognolytica Facebook page for updates on this and future podcasts. Also subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, Google Play, and elsewhere to get notified of future episodes. Want to support this podcast and get your message out to our listeners? Then become a sponsor. We offer significant benefits for AI Today sponsors, including promotion in the podcast and landing page, and opportunities to be a guest on the AI Today show. For more information on sponsorship, visit the Cognolytica website and click on the podcast link. This sound recording and its contents is copyright by Cognolytica, all rights reserved. Music by Matsu Gravas. 
As always, thanks for listening to AI Today, and we'll catch you at the next podcast.